Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And what's up? Welcome in GC Live Monday episode of the show. I am Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. We are, of course, presented every single day that we have a show by our good friend Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. ClintHammond.com is where you can find all the information you need about Clint. 803-771-6933. As you see on your screen right there, that's the rest of Clint's info. His NMLS number is 71597, or you can just shoot him an email, Hammond at mortgagenetwork.com. So uh, welcome in. Shout out to everybody who's already in the chat. Shout out to everybody who listens after the fact on the podcast platforms. Of course, we love to have you join us on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. But um, anyway, you listen or watch the show, we're certainly happy for the support. Chris, um, the momentum rolls on, although I got to admit, I'm a little bit sad. There's no more who's the silent welcome home questions at least for now. Uh, the final of the silent welcome homes was revealed earlier today. Again, we're live and recording this at 2 p.m. on Monday. Felix Hickson, three-star defensive tackle, high three-star guy. He's in the 30s as far as the defensive tackle rankings on Rivals.com, class of 2022. Uh, a kid that South Carolina, it really seemed like this is one of those deals where Carolina was in, I would say, great position for a while. Uh, Jimmy Lindsay got in on him um, pretty much the second he got the job at South Carolina. It seems like Felix Hickson may have been one of his first phone calls. Gets in. I actually just talked to Felix a- about 30 minutes ago before we came on the air, and uh, he he pretty much confirmed that, man. He said that I kind of knew, but the visits confirmed it. So I think we knew he was going to be a Gamecock after the OV went very well. He committed to Shane Beamer on uh, on the 23rd of June, made it official today, put it out. Um, actually also confirmed he's going to be an early enrollee. That's something I don't know if we knew before. Um, that stuff is sort of always hard to keep, you know, keep all straight and everything. But he's an early enrollee. Another, I think, good pickup for this staff, man, as far as uh, just going down there, beating out Georgia Tech in their home state. I think that was the final two. Um just a, a solid get at the defensive tackle spot. And you can never have too many of those guys. Yeah, it's a position where, like, you look at defensive tackle, it's probably one of the positions where South Carolina's got maybe the most depth, arguably, on the team at that particular spot. But you can't go, as we know, a cycle or definitely multiple cycles without signing a solid class. Now, this is Carolina's first recruiting class with this new staff, first true recruiting class, right, the 22 class class. It's the one where they actually had some time, even though a lot of it was still cut out by the COVID dead period. Uh, they still had some time to put this class together, um, starting with those June official visits, first in-person opportunities. And Felix Hickson was among those first. You remember there were three initial official visitors once June opened, some midweek officials. Felix Hickson was one of those three. And I think, you know, he was, he was a guy that uh, South Carolina identified early. Jimmy Lindsay had known about him from, you know, some of his connections in Georgia previously at Illinois don't know that he had offered him yet, but knew about him. And so they immediately jumped in on Felix and now he joins Jamal Weiss out of Florida um, as a defensive tackle commitment. Another spot or two on the interior defensive line, potentially still available for the Gamecocks and we'll, we'll see where that goes. But uh, you're right, Wes, he was a guy that the staff identified early. It kind of reminded me a little bit, switching over to the other side of the ball of Ryan Brubaker, right? He was this, he was this early commit 
or not early commit. He was a, an early target for the staff. Um, they they jumped in on him very early, built that relationship, got him in on the official, had to finish out the official visit slate before he announced. But I think South Carolina knew they were in good shape for Hickson after the official visit. Obviously, there was some time in between his verbal commitment behind the scenes and when he announced it. And similar deal to Brubaker. Like, the staff felt good. Brubaker felt good about things after his official, but he had to close out that process in June. But these are both early targets that the staff was able to secure um, before the summer is even out. And so uh, more building in the trenches with, with the addition of Felix Hickson. Yeah, good, just a good, solid pickup. He, you know, and he, he fits this trend we've seen with the 2022 class, Chris, of let me cram a bunch of visits in in June. Let me let me sort of give the schools that I really like a chance. And in this case, that was South Carolina, Georgia Tech, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Virginia. I tend to think it was really always going to be South Carolina and Georgia Tech. And just, you know, maybe another school just blows him away, you know, going into June. Maybe he goes somewhere and it's just the perfect fit. That can always happen. But for the most part, it seemed like South Carolina and Georgia Tech were the strongest. Um, he liked – I think I think he liked both programs quite a bit. I think he, it sounds like he probably liked the fact both of them weren't too far from home. You know, you could get to – you know, get back home fairly easily. But then ultimately, I, I think Jimmy Lindsay was the deciding factor here. And he, you know, he's a guy that that has come in and just he, – he, he just seems to build really strong, solid relationships with these kids on a, on a more personal level. I don't know if it's necessarily always about football. I think it's more he, – he's built some, some solid, long-standing relationships. He works at recruiting. That's something that you – you got to work at it. And – He's not necessarily, you know, if, if you watch the press conference, he's not necessarily that like super flashy guy that's going to go about recruiting by being, you know, all about let, let me be the loudest guy in the room. It's more about I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to give it to you straight, but I'm going to also stay in touch like time after time after time, day after day. Um, little, I don't know, man. There, there's a little bit of, of a sense there of me of this. He, he's probably one of the more underrated recruiters on this staff as far as um coming in and you know we talk about guys what can they do at the sec level as a recruiter versus being other places and i think he's a, one of those guys we talk about that takes care of his room we're seeing that with the defensive line already and you know i think they're in position it'll be interesting now to see who they push for how these final slots sort of play out because now you're sort of starting to get to that point. Like we talked about at some other positions, man, it starts to clamp down. You can be a little more selective and there will be some interesting storylines at that position moving forward. There will be. And to go back to Jimmy Lindsay's personality, you're right. Not, not the loudest, not the most aggressive, you know, huge personality in terms of that coming out, but just a solid relationship builder. And he does have personality, right? And, and that comes through with these recruits, with their families. He just does it in a manner where it's not, it, it's not about height. Like he's not a height man, you know, type of assistant coach is super loud and aggressive. Um, just does a really good job building relationships. And that's one thing that we knew about Jimmy Lindsay and then heard before he got to South Carolina um, talking. I know Wes, you talked to some of his former players and guys he had recruited. Um, they all, speak very highly of him to this day. He seems to know everybody, got lots of connections in the state of Georgia and, and elsewhere. And so I think we saw some of that pay off this time. And, and you look at, you know, th this is not going to be the best. And when I say best, it's not going to be the highest ranked recruiting class for South Carolina. I would not think under Shane Beamer next year's class probably has a chance if things go well to be ranked a lot higher. And so we may see some more star power, whether it's on the defensive line or other positions, um, but you look at some of the talent that he's gotten South Carolina in the mix with this class, whether it's some guys that they've made evals on more under the radar or some bigger names. And then you look at some of the 2023 names and 2024 names that he's already been able to get on campus this summer. That kind of speaks to what you're talking about with the work ethic and the ability to, you know, get recruits on your campus and build those relationships. Yeah. And I, I think now, man, you start to look uh, as far as star power though, many, you know, I, I feel like, and we talked about this coming in, that they we're going to have a feel for this class. That was our message. We're going to have a feel for this class in June. Um, by the end of June, we're going to have a great feel. I don't know if we even anticipated that by July 5th, 
that there would be 15 commitments on the commit list. Um, certainly thought it was possible, I guess, but if you had given me over under, if you'd give me over under 14, I may have gone under going, going into yeah. uh, June, but you know, here, here it is. They, they've sort of locked down the guys that they've been in, in really good shape with. And now most of the kids that are left are sort of these more blue chip type, big name guys, big boy recruiting battles where you are battling it out with, with some really uh, established programs at this point. So from just a time management standpoint, that does help you to sort of get these kids locked in and now be able to be selective and focus on the final um, pieces of what this recruiting class is going to be. Um, saw a question on here earlier. There are no more silent commits at this point. Everybody that's that's been a welcome home is public now. It's out there. And, and now you're just, you know, you're talking about closing in on, you know, your Oscar Delps, your Antonio Williams, your your sort of just big, big recruiting targets that are left. So that, that'll certainly be fun to follow. Um, let's, as we usually do, Chris, let, let's dive into the film here. And then we're, we're going to talk about Emory Floyd a little bit as well, since um, we're, we're talking, I did Hickson first because he committed today, but um, Floyd had Floyd committed in the time period since we last had a show. So of course we want to get to that as well. But um you know, Hickson, man, th- this is one of those kids. We, we talk when we talk about prospects, Chris. There's always this combination of upside versus um, how far along are they right now. And you know, I, I think as far as the upside goes, I, I think this is a kid that will probably reshape his body a bit when he gets into a college uh, strength and conditioning program. That's something we we've heard. But as far as just turning on the film and saying how good of a football player is this kid right now, um, he's actually got some of the better film, I feel like, of all the defensive tackles that South Carolina's recruiting. Uh, makes plays, gets in the backfield, relentless effort. Um, again, I, I think you you know he's going to have to reshape a, a little bit, get stronger, but the, the quickness off the ball, um, he, he actually told me today that they're looking at him pretty much entirely as a three technique. Um, I, I – I think um, the film here sort of speaks for itself. Yeah, and you look at the kid, and he's even a little bit bigger than you would think seeing him in person, if that makes sense. Like, he's got more weight on him even than you would think. He might have another inch in terms of him being about six foot three, I think is what he measured at the Rivals camp that we saw him at the Spring West, whereas, you know, you're not – maybe on film, you're not as sure if that's his true height, but but that's what he is. So from a size standpoint – you know, he, he checks that box. Um, is he going to be the a freak athlete? I don't think so. But what you see from him, he's just very solid in every area. You know, I think this is a guy that projects as a, as a guy in the interior of your defensive line who can stop the run. He can I think he can improve as a pass rusher in terms of um, his technique and just Jimmy Lindsey teaching him some more pass rush moves and things like that. A lot of defensive tackles, Wes, at this level, at the high school level, they're just going to be able to rely on their strength. They're just they're bigger, they're stronger, they're more talented than guys. Hicks, and you see some of that. But what you also see is the stuff that you pointed out, the effort. You kind of worry about those things sometimes with defensive tackles. Of If they get blocked initially, are they going to kind of let themselves be blocked or are they just going to kind of quit on the play? We've seen that even from some really highly ranked. Look, look at that play right there that we just saw. Yeah. I mean, that, that – that spells it out right there. Running sideline to sideline. If he if he encounters resistance from an opposing offensive lineman, he can fight off that block or keep going, run sideline to sideline, blow up plays in the backfield. So, yeah, a, a, a lot of stuff here to like about Felix Hickson in terms of the effort, the size. He checks a lot of those boxes that you look for. Yeah, and it shows some toughness too, man. I, I, I think you watch this and you say at, at the very least – like you can sit here and project and, and feel pretty good about this kid's going to make your team better, right? Like this kid is going to find a way to contribute in some way. Now, um, you know, is he going to be necess- like, is he going to be an all American where he just uh, comes in immediately and, and starts for South Carolina? You know, I, I don't know if that's fair to put on him, but I, I think just watching him, we oftentimes look at ceiling and look at floor. I think the floor is, is actually pretty high here when I watch him just because of all the things you're talking about. If you have a kid with this size already, 
that already sort of knows how to use his hands pretty well, uh, chases down plays, gives effort, a sharp kid, a good kid, by all indications, um, very, you know, just a polite kid when you talk to him, man. When, when you start checking all those boxes, I think for me that sort of raises that floor and that you you say, okay, he's going to find a way to contribute to to your team in, in some way. So, um, and, and again, uh, it, it goes back to the relationship with Jamie Lindsay. That was his, his biggest factor there and him having a belief that, he fits this scheme and that, that Jimmy Lindsay is going to take care of him and, and put him in a position to continue to develop and to get better. So um, just, you know what, man, I think some, some kids, you just sort of, you just say, all right, that's probably a fit. When you look at what South Carolina is saying, what they're selling, and you look at what the kids looking for um, sometimes it just matches. And I, I think that was the case here with, with Felix Hickson. Yeah. Yeah, it is Re- really good fit. And, you know, I, I think that was pretty evident early on that you mentioned earlier, West Georgia Tech, South Carolina, were the, kind of the, the top two, the final two here. He had the full slate of visits. Illinois, Wisconsin, Virginia also drew it. But pretty evident after that midweek, early June official to South Carolina that it was going to be a good fit for both parties. Uh, Jimmy Lindsay had really seemed to hone in on Felix Hickson as a guy that he really liked. And vice versa. The, the the mutual interest there was strong. Hickson, of course, committed to South Carolina silently before he had even finished that official visit slate. I think he took one final one to Virginia, but went ahead and locked in a spot. You know, you look at defensive tackle this year, probably three or four slots total. Jamal Weiss took one. Hickson has his. And then we'll, there, there are several candidates on the board of, of different, you know, varieties and play styles and star rankings, you know, that could ultimately factor in there. But wanted to go ahead and lock in his spot and South Carolina wanted him to lock in a spot as well. But, but you're right. Re- really good kid, good, solid football player. And I think, you know, I, I feel like we've made this comparison uh, with more than one player West, whether it's D lineman or other people, but I think Felix Hickson can be a guy that's similar to like a Kobe Smith type, not necessarily in just in play style, but a guy that just quietly is a starter eventually and is a really good football player and by the way Kobe Smith played as a freshman I don't think Felix Hickson will need to do that at this stage for South Carolina although he could Uh, but Kobe Smith ended up being an NFL undrafted free agent guy sticking on a roster all those kind of things so if you can get NFL level talent you know then then that's all you can shoot for but I I, I see him as potentially having that type of impact you know and, and I just say that to illustrate the point of we try to set expectations for different recruits I don't think this is a Javon Kinlaw type of get for South Carolina, but I do think it's a guy who has starter potential in the SEC and is a really good football player. And, and that, especially right now at this stage, is a good get for the Gamecocks in my book. Well, man, we talked about it last season. They uh, <laughs> they they missed Kobe Smith last bad. year. I think bad. they missed him bad. So um, there, when you have when you have a guy that just goes out there and does his job at that position. I guarantee you that linebackers and defensive ends will sit there and say, this guy makes my life a lot easier. So um, I, I think that I think that's what they missed quite a bit in, in Kobe Smith this past year. So, um, again, I said it earlier, kid will be an early enrollee as well. That that gives you a little boost that lets you get on in there and, and go from there. So, all right, uh, a, a big commitment over the weekend, South Carolina landing Emory Floyd, someone, you know, this one, Chris, played out the opposite of, uh, of Felix Hickson. I mean, we, we got the news uh, that he was uh, going to take an official visit. You know, I guess that was that final weekend, uh, the, the 25th, uh, June 25th weekend. And we're sitting there sort of scrambling. All right, let's get this confirmed that he's coming. And we were like, that's sort of a little bit out of nowhere. I mean, he had mentioned South Carolina before, spoke highly of them, but he'd mentioned – you know, it's more along the lines of, of Auburn uh, being involved, Georgia, Florida, and South Carolina sort of stayed the course here. They get him in on the official visit. Even after the OV, I, I think, um, you know, I, I don't know if I, I knew he was necessarily sitting there about to commit to South Carolina. And, you know, I talked to him after the official and had good things to say. He's a little bit of a low-key kid, though, as far as what he says, his reactions to stuff. Can't read into all that, but then, um, you know, I think ultimately South Carolina pushed harder than, than say, in Auburn. They really warned him. He credited Torian Gray. Uh, we had the quote that sort of spread around Twitter quite a bit when he said that he felt Torian Gray was the best DBs coach uh, in America. 
And um, Gamecocks get get a guy who uh, put, puts that four stars on the board that people like, had some really nice other offers. And, um, again, same situation. DB, now you're starting to – the numbers start to – the available numbers, it starts to contract and puts you in a position where you can be very, very selective down the stretch. Yeah, what's that, five defensive backs, Wes, if my math is right, and then Nick him and Warry from Irmo, if you count him as a linebacker. Now you got five DBs, and you're doing what you set out to do in this class. Again, broken record alert, but wide receiver, which is still left to play out because of Antonio Williams and some other guys in this class, plus DB. Those are your two biggest positions, one on each side of the ball, in terms of your need for numbers, for talent. And so now you look at it from a numbers standpoint, you're not as concerned if you're a Gamecock fan, if you're this Gamecock staff about hitting the numbers there. Now you're, you're honestly, your worry now is who do we hone in on, right? Because um, you've gotten some commitments, you know, K1 Banks out of Florida was the first one, but you've got some different types of guys now and you've got what two or three guys, arguably more who can play safety you know, it might be true safeties for you. Emory Floyd going to start out as a corner, according to what he told U.S. and, and what we've kind of heard from him. Obviously has the ability to play safety too, but a, a nice mix of talent um, here, here in terms of the blend of guys that can play safety or nickel or corner or maybe some that can play multiple spots. But Floyd, if you look at just sheer talent, not just the offer list, but just sheer talent, what he can do is gifts on a football field. You know, he has a lot of those things. He can run, he has length, he has positional versatility, and he's got a lot of upside. And a guy that Tory and Gray, that you talk about taking care of your room, that's typically been the book on him, Wes, at Virginia Tech and Florida, other stops. Um, he's typically done that. And so they're, he's showing that this time around that, you know, they're going to fill out some numbers, and Emory Floyd's a big get for them at, at a big need position. Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, based on combination of what the kids themselves have told us, what I've heard, um, and my own personal opinions on guys. And I, I did – I confirmed uh, basically that is the case with Floyd. You always want to sort of make sure um, about stuff like that, that he he will start out at, at cornerback at South Carolina. That's the plan. And so I, I go through the list, man. I see, I see Javante McClendon and Peyton Williams as being pretty much, in my opinion, true safeties. Um, there, there's Because you're going to see guys listed at various positions on the various – recruiting pages, you know, and, and different people have different opinions on these things. But as far as my opinion combined with South Carolina's opinion combined with the needs at these positions, I think those guys are true safeties. Um, Eamon Worry, I think very quickly has sort of been outgrowing safety. South Carolina sees him sort of as a hybrid um, nickel outside linebacker, sort of that big nickel, almost like a spur. Like the big nickel spot is sort of uh, – sort of what the spur was for South Carolina before that that's sort of how he fits. So as far as your numbers go, um, it, it is not like there's, it, it makes it a little bit messy. It's not like a perfect fit for a spot and that spot doesn't exist on rivals. Um, so you may look and you may say, wow, how many DBs can you fit in a class? But you look at the frame there and you look at the scheme and, and he doesn't really necessarily fit in exactly with everybody else in the class. Then I look at, I look at Banks. I think when you look when you look at his size, you probably say he's more of a cornerback slash smaller nickel that would be a guy you'd put out there more so against a three wide receiver, against a four wide receiver set, and, and sort of go from there. And then I I have Rose in my mind as being a bigger cornerback. Obviously, he could play safety, could play really Rose could end up at any of the spots, but his, my opinion on his athleticism took a big jump after we saw him at camp. So that that's sort of my breakdown of him. And then Floyd, as we said, starts out at cornerback. Could he ultimately end up at safety? Of course. But, um, you know, as Clayton White told us in a public setting, he said at his press conference, a lot of guys can play safety. Not every guy can play corner. I look at Rose and Floyd both. You say, okay, these guys can play corner. If I'm South Carolina, if you can add another guy, if you can add like a Keenan Nelson to the mix, another guy that can bring some size but also play corner, to me, uh, you know, a Traquan Fagan, somebody like that, 
<laughs> I'm not turning down a great player at that position. And right. I think that's South Carolina's approach as well. When you start getting this tight on numbers, it, it is a fluid situation. We know that. And the greater, the bigger numbers start to become a factor as well for the entire class. But they're still recruiting at that position because I don't, I think they're saying if, if a difference maker wants to come at defensive back, you have to acknowledge the numbers, but you can't turn down really good players at that position. Exactly. It was going to be a big need regardless, right? And just because even if you took only J.C. Horn, probably the best corner in the country, first defensive player off the board in the NFL draft. So I say that speaks for itself. You lose him. You lose Izzy McQuamu, who's got ample experience. So even if you took those two, you'd be sitting there going, okay, you know, you need to bolster the roster. You need to develop some guys on the roster. But, oh, by the way, as much nickel as you play nowadays, and you're you're moving to that scheme, you know, as your as your primary scheme. But you play a lot of nickel anyway in today's college football game. You know, you lose Jamie Robinson to transfer. You lose John Dixon. Um, you got some questions there, and safety, as we have laid out, has been a need position for quite a while for this for this team for this program. And so there are some needs anyway that were exacerbated by some of the other things that happened through the transfer portal and in a coaching change. And so. Um, is a huge need. And so now what they've done, they've gone and plucked some talented guys and not just anybody. That's, that's the thing, you know, you, you wouldn't want to fill five or six slots just with anybody. Now what they've gone and done is they've gotten a variety of body types, some positional versatility. Um, Wes, I think, even though we're talking about the 22 class, you talk about a guy who counts towards that class, but will play this year, Karan Prony, right? Because he's, He's got a full slate of eligibility, basically. You can almost think of him as being a, a member of the, the 22 class if you want. You can kind of loop him in with these other guys, even though he's going to play this year. Um, so you, you think about Emory Floyd, Anthony Rose. You think about Karan Prunty, who already has college football experience. Those are maybe your headliners of the class. But then you've got some other guys who are certainly talented players, whether it's safety, nickel corner, or all of them. But, um, you know, diving into the the film here on Floyd, you see him do some different things. Um, quieter kid, like you said, but one thing that stands out on the film is, is he's got length and he can really run. And he's just got a lot of natural ability that I think Torian Gray is going to be able to work with. Yeah, so once we got word that South Carolina was, was getting Floyd, that's when, Chris, I really started diving in a bit to – to what he's all about as a player. And, you know, if, if you're if you're going to sort of take it from the whole floor versus ceiling thing, like we were talking about it with Hickson, it's a little bit reversed here. I, I mean, I, I think you're taking you're taking a kid like Floyd, a, lo- a lot of it is upside. You know, this is a kid with a great track background. Um, I, I read an article, basically he's only played a, a year of, of varsity football. So, um that that means the upside is there. You're doing a lot of what you're doing if you're this kid on natural talent, which means that there's plenty of room for you to grow. Uh, the, the way it was described to me, man, is that okay, there there's just not you just can't teach six foot one with excellent speed. And I, I didn't realize just how fast the kid is until I started to dive into his track times. Um his fastest event. Um, track time, like actually recorded 10.51 seconds in the 100. Um, his PR basically at, at any time, uh, like self-report is 10.48. And he believes, uh, and he will not be an early enrollee because this is a kid that track is very important to him. So he will finish out his senior year, um, at track. He believes he's still going to be able to shave a couple of more seconds off of that has a goal of, of breaking into the 10 threes, uh, which if you're even having that discussion, you're uh, you're pretty dang fast. So um, he he has basically track confirmed um, 10.5 100 meter speed, which is blazing, and uh, that's as a junior in high school. So a, a chance to get better. You add that with the length. You add that with uh, you know the fact he's going to be coached by Torian Gray. Um, that Gamecock fans, I think, can allow themselves to be really excited about this get because. He, he's he's not going to be someone that's going to go out there and be outmatched by any by pretty much any receiver he comes up against. He's going to be able to to match up from an athletic standpoint. 
Yeah, and you see, like, on film, there have been a few instances on this film you're playing here, Wes, is his high school highlight tape where basically he's playing kind of a safety or rover-type position, and you'll see a guy who's coming downhill at, at top speed. Emory Floyd's flat-footed, and he can just turn and run and chase him down, you know. So I, I know, you know, obviously there's going to be a difference in what he faces at the high school level, what he faces at the college level in terms of that speed. You're not going to – you know, for instance, if you get – a running back or receiver and you're flat footed, you're, you're probably not going to turn in college and chase them. But what that does show is that he's got really good natural speed. And like you said, man, that that's something you cannot teach. That's one of those traits that guys just either have, or they don't, you know, I mentioned JC Horn earlier and I'm not comparing Floyd to him at all, but JC Horn had some things in high school that were God given talents that you, you don't teach a, a lot of his game it was just there, you know, and I think Emory Floyd will have to be developed more than a guy like JC. Uh, but he's, he's got a lot of those traits to where you look at him, And I think you made a great point. You're not going to sit there and say he can't match up, right? You're not going to sit there and say, well, he's only five, nine, so you can't cover bigger receivers or can we leave him in the slot? Can we leave him outside in the red zone? You're not going to sit there and say, uh, well, we're worried about his long speed. We don't know if he can turn and run with the wideouts that he's going to face in this league on a, on a week by week basis. He's got all that stuff. You know, all those traits are, are right there. And so the, the other things, the finer points of, of technique and tackling and open spaces on the perimeter and, you know, different technical aspects of playing defensive back, yeah, he'll, he'll have some work to do in that category. But just from the, the slate that you get as a coach that Torian Gray is going to have, the physical attributes are certainly there. Yeah, and he's a guy that's going to be – going to be fun to continue to watch grow as a player. And, you know, he was actually – he was good at the Rivals camp in Atlanta. Our, our national guys were very impressed with, with what he did and, and said he was in the conversation for uh, top DB at the event. And, and for those who don't know, if you're if you're at these events, there's really, there's really no safeties. You know, it's – you're basically a cornerback if you're at this event because you're matching up one-on-one. Like, if you're – if you're – looking at a guy as he a safety as a corner, you're going to find out at these events if they can cover one-on-one because if you're a DB, that's that's essentially what you're going to be asked to do. And there's no there's really no safety help in the middle of the field either. So um, you're going to have to go out there and lock down some really good receivers, and, and that was on display in Atlanta. Um, really, really good report from those guys. So, uh, yeah, Emory Floyd, four-star guy, definitely worth getting excited about if you're a South Carolina fan out there. And Chris um, – Dude, there's 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 more guys to track moving forward because we we talked about this the other day, man. A lot of these kids are in this mindset of committed or excuse me, haven't committed yet, but took visits all June. And I, you know, I framed it like this. June was visit season. July is going to be commit season because it's always been a trend to get rid of your commitment, to get rid of the recruiting process, to get it out of the way before your senior year. That's always been sort of a, like a, you can draw a line on the calendar and say lots of guys want to be done. Not all of them, but lots of guys want to be done before senior year starts. So throw in the fact that you had all this recruiting jammed into June. Um, It was like a year's worth of recruiting jammed into one month. It made July, July is right in the middle sandwiched as a commitment period. So earlier today, we find out Ramon Brown, who, by the way, best best nickname of South Carolina targets, Razor Ramon Brown, um, big-time running back. He's going to make his announcement 5 o'clock on Friday. Um, and we find out uh, right before we go on the show that August 7th, is that right? Um, you're gonna, uh, I knew you were going to pass it off. I was going to see if you were going to try to slide it in, but tell me why. Garajawai. Yes. Out of Delaware. We'll be making his announcement um, as well. A guy that took an official visit. Again, took an official visit in June. There's a trend. Guys take all their trips and then uh, try try to get it locked in. That's, again, an August announcement. But, you know, and Ramon Brown is a guy we'll, we'll have to continue to dig in on as it gets closer to Friday. He, he announced his top five actually today as well. There's really no surprises on the top five. But um, this is a kid. I think it's going to be interesting. South South Carolina has 
they they've been after him. I would say since uh, since Montario Hardesty took over, Ramon Brown has been a, a primary target for South Carolina. Jalen Glover has been a primary target for South Carolina. Someone in the chat earlier was asking about running backs. To me, those those are the two. Without looking at the board, we're not claiming you know we're giving away the the exact recruiting board here, but just based on my own observations, Jalen Glover, Ramon Brown, they've def, definitely received a lot of love from the staff. That's fair to say. And we know for a fact they love both those guys as far as um, prospects go at that position. So you got Virginia Tech, Penn State, West Virginia, Maryland, South Carolina in the top five, took official visits to all those schools for Ramon Brown. There's been quite a bit of buzz. Um, I think you've heard this and I heard this uh, a second ago, Chris. It's not going to be Penn State from what we hear. Um, it, you know, Virginia Tech, home state school, primary target for them. We're going to have to dig on that. We're just speculating. We're just guessing right now. But I can promise you South Carolina will be digging in during this final week trying to see if they can make that one final push because uh, it's a kid they like a lot. Yeah, no doubt. And and, and it was kind of always Ramon's plan. I remember he, he was among the, that group of three midweek initial official visitors, kind of opened official visit season for South Carolina along with Felix Hickson, which you mentioned earlier. And so he had some other trips he took after South Carolina. And it was always kind of his plan to finish up his slate in June and then decide probably sometime in July or if not in July, maybe early August if he needed to take the month. I find the timing kind of interesting, Wes. Again, we're recording this at 2.37 on Monday, July 5th. And so we'll probably find out a little bit more even after this while we're recording the show, after we record the show. But, you know, right here where we sit, I find the timing interesting of releasing a top five and then same day you're dropping a commitment date. A lot of times when you see guys do that, they have something in mind, right? Because otherwise there's no need to rush it. Maybe a program that he's looking at, you know, they have a limited number of spots. They got one spot. He just knows, came to a decision, whatever it may be. Penn State, interestingly, got a couple running backs on the board. Aside from Ramon Brown, one of them is Nick Singleton out of Pennsylvania, who's a guy that I know we really like, Wes, guy that South Carolina was involved with with the previous staff. They've also got Katron Allen out of IMG Academy in Florida on the board, along with Brown. So will be interesting to see. No doubt a guy Virginia Tech would love to keep home, but a guy that South Carolina likes a lot as well and, and someone that yeah, I mean, you t- you turn on the film, he's really good. You can see why South Carolina really wanted to make a push once the staff had changed over and the recruiting office was fully set and the coaching staff from Ontario Hardesty was fully set. They wanted to go make a run at this guy, and his film shows you why. Dude, he is an absolute stud on film. Like, he – Ramon Brown, um, he reminds me of – what we were told when when Bobby Bentley first got the running backs job and he was like, any anybody on the planet should – you don't have to be a football coach. If, if, if you're recruiting the right running backs, you should be able to turn on the film and not even know anything about football and be like, that guy's really good because he just flashes out to you. He pops. Yeah. To me, looking at this film, this kid pops. Whoever gets him is going to get a, a great player. And, and dude, the, the feedback I heard on the official visit to South Carolina was that people would be like, um, this kid is much bigger, thicker, more muscular than you expect just watching how quick he is on film. Yep. Yep, he is. And, I mean, we even got to see him in person, and um, he's a he's a kid that has some size to him. And then the film's just really impressive. Like, he checks – all these different boxes at running back with the, you know, the initial burst, the ability to hear you see, you know, he can go run routes downfield, catch the ball, adjust to the ball in the air, has breakaway speed at, at the high school level, which, you know, will, will translate to the college level, can bounce things outside, he can run inside in between the tackles, runs with some power, can run through tackles. So a lot to like about Ramon Brown. So we'll, we'll keep tracking this one and, and kind of see where it goes. South Carolina's been in the mix. I think they did well to get into the mix, Wes, because when this staff changed over, this was a guy that there was there's basically no shot with, no no real involvement with. Staff was able to get in, secure an official visit, and and at least kind of get into the mix to see what happens. So we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, and and from what we've heard, I mean the 
the conversation has always been good. Like it's South Carolina has been in it, whether you get them or not, they, they've been in it. The interest is there. You know, we talked about Montario Hardesty and, and his uh, personality. Um, he works at recruiting as well. So they're in it. We'll see. Hope, like, like we said, hopefully for our subscribers, uh, you know, moving forward, we'll be able to have a little bit more as this week goes on. And then of course by Wednesday, Wednesday's show, we may have even more. Um, let's see. So, but when we last talked to you, Chris, was Eamon Worry live yet? Was he public? I don't think that he was. I don't think he was either. So um, let, let's get a let's take a moment to get in to get your thoughts. I gave my thoughts on Friday. We talked about him a little bit earlier in the show, sort of the versatility here, man. But a a local kid, um, you'll see him listed six four one ninety five. I think that's more like six three plus. I've heard 208 thrown around as a weight, right? He's definitely over 200 pounds from what I've been told. He's not in the 195 range anymore. He's closing in on 210 pounds already going into his senior year. I saw him play some seven-on-seven at uh, the Lower Richland, seven-on-seven on whatever day that was. Um, So, dude, I I think, again, like we said earlier, ultimately you could be looking at a really athletic – outside linebacker, but, but we'll see, we'll see sort of, again, you just get these kids on campus and you see what makes the most sense. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go back to what you said about the size. I'd seen him and Warrior on film, seen some photos, all that kind of thing. But when we saw him in camp last month, I was shocked. I think it might be the right word about how big he looked from a frame standpoint. The height didn't really surprise me, but, just the frame in terms of the weight that he had on him and how big he can get. Like you look at that picture right there, Wes, that was at the beginning of his huddle tape. He looked to me way bigger than that right now. I don't know what he weighed when that photo was taken, but he's filled out a good bit, even from when you see this film, in my opinion, he has the weight to hold a lot more. Like you, you looked at him there and said, this guy could be 225, 230 in a hurry pretty easily and still be able to move well. And so, there have been multiple people, including I think us, or I'll put myself in that category, that looked at him and said, this guy can be a true linebacker or an outside linebacker. He could go, you know, rush the passer for you on, on third downs. He could, you know, play play an, as an in-the-box linebacker, run sideline to sideline, obviously as a DB type coverage type of background. So, and at that size, tested extremely well. And so I think Eamon Warry is a guy that if his – on field production and tape, not that his tape is subpar or anything. It's just that the testing numbers and the size are really good. If if his production, you know, starts to match that in terms of the potential, then you could really, really have something there. Yeah, te- tested completely off the charts at South Carolina. I mean, it was it was really, really freakish just how athletic this kid is and, and what he tested at. Um Somebody asked about Isaiah Simmons. That that's a lot to put on somebody as far as making that comparison. But I, you know, I think if you're going to look at like a a best, you know, if you're going to do comparisons, a lot of times people go with like the best case, like who's the best player you can think of that matches this guy. Um, is that fair to put that expectation on Nick? Probably not. But. Um, is is there maybe some comparison there when you look at the versatility, pure athleticism? Um, potentially, potentially. Um, he actually – so his, I talked to his coach, Chris. He said that um, he uh, reminded him of the kid from Kentucky, um, Jamin Davis, that was drafted by uh, the Redskins. He was very similar sizes and also was uh, – was a DB coming out of high school, ended up being a linebacker, actually didn't do much at Kentucky his first couple of years, if I remember correctly, then sort of it all clicked, was a high draft pick, and and sort of he, he just said it, it was a similar, maybe a similar path. I If you want to go to the safety side of it, I've heard him compared to uh, to Hamza, a, a kid that that people on here, I, I mentioned him Friday, and I was like, don't, uh, you know, don't start cussing me in the chat because I know it's a <laughs> It's a rough subject, but um, that, that somebody said, "Hey, from a for just a body type standpoint, 
the high school film. He does play quite a bit of safety in the high school film. Um, that he reminds them a little bit of, of Hamza, just the athleticism and the size at, at safety. And I, I actually don't think that's a terrible um, comparison. It's not. And, you know, the, the common theme there, any of those guys you mentioned, Wes, if he turns out to be, you know, three quarters of the player of any of those guys and you've, you've really found something, right? I mean, Isaiah Simmons, I, I think Isaiah Simmons has reached the territory to where anybody who's like 6'3", test well and has positional versatility is going to be compared to him, right? I think he, he, that's just kind of one of those things that's happened out there. And and, and I get it um, because guys like that are very intriguing with their size and their athleticism ratio. Isaiah Simmons also kind of a unicorn, right? He could play corner. He was 238 pounds at the NFL combine and ran a 4.39. I, I just – they're, those aren't going to grow on trees. Even guys like Eamon Warrior who ran in the four fours and they're six three, you know, over two hundred pounds. Um, if if he can be that type of versatile performer, that's great. And and I think Jamin Davis from Kentucky that you mentioned is a really good, um, you know, success story and maybe something comparable. He was, you know, he's about one hundred ninety pounds I think coming out of high school, and then obviously ended up being an NFL guy. And another good example of something we talk about a lot, Wes, and that. You don't give up on a guy if they're not an All-American by year two. You know, Jamin Davis obviously turned out to be a really good football player. So, um, yeah, I, I think that those are some decent comps in terms of if, if he can turn out to be that good. But this is definitely a guy that has just such interesting um, – j- just such an interesting size to athleticism ratio and can do so many different things that if he continues to develop as a football player – he, he has so much athleticism checks kind of like Emory Floyd to where there are not many boxes. He doesn't check from like an athletic standpoint of what you look for at that position. Yeah. So, and, and that's another guy I look forward to going out and watching play right, right down the road. Um, not too far. Easy trip to Irmo. Look forward to watching him this season. I'm going to hit a couple of questions here. Chris had a question from Walter. He says two wide receiver commits already. How many more? I think ideally, if you're South Carolina, you want to add two more. Um, and again, you you want those to be difference makers. I think you you want those to be you want one of them to be Antonio Williams. Let's just be honest, one hundred percent game over. You want him to be one of your guys. Uh, then, you know, I, I think what you look at a, a Jaden Gibson, you look at a, a Dane Key. Those are a couple of other ones that we continue to track. And, uh, you know, South Carolina would love to have either one of those guys coming to the boat, but certainly Antonio Williams remains the guy that we've, we've been watching from the very, very beginning. Um, shout out Larry, first time watcher. And he wants to know what about Abdul Carter? Any continuing interest? He's a guy we're continuing to track. Um, the official went really, really well. I think he's a guy that you, you sort of, you, it doesn't sound like he's anywhere close to making a decision. So when it comes to that, you sort of just keep tracking him. Those can go any number of ways when you sort of talk about a guy who's going to decide in, in a while. But, but yeah, certainly someone that I would be continuing to track um, if you're a South Carolina fan. And let's see, what what else do we want to hit, Chris? Um, I, I don't think you've given us your Landon Sampson thoughts mm. either. No, I haven't. For my money, one of the most underrated – guys on this commitment list someone South Carolina is extremely excited to have in the boat extremely productive um I was told sometimes and and dude 440 40 yard dash has a has a vertical over 40 inches um I didn't believe it till I was sent a picture by his dad um that sort of confirmed it really nice get out of Texas for South Carolina well, and a lot of people out in Texas that have seen this kid play, which is a bunch, plays at a very big high school out there, a Quinn Ewers, Ohio State commitment, five-star quarterback. So, obviously, has he's used to catching passes from a college quarterback, that's for sure, and he plays against some big competition. Um, really like this get. A lot of people out there in Texas, the original point I was trying to get to, think he's an underrated guy. And, you know, I know that gets thrown around a lot. This guy may be rated higher, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people think that about Landon Sampson. When you look at the production, the measurables, the level of competition he plays against, I think you can buy that argument for sure. The thing that stands out to me, Wes, is this guy looks like a true wide receiver. Like 
you don't look at him and go, well, he's got speed and you hope that he can develop. No, he, he already looks pretty advanced from a route running standpoint. There's not any questions about, you know, you, you look at size. He's got pretty good size. Is it, is he six, four, six, five? No, but he's got good college level size. Um, he checks those measurables boxes that you mentioned, Wes. So it's not, okay, he's really productive, but he's not going to be fast enough for the college level. Um, he's advanced as a route runner. He's good in the open field. Um, I think he, he checks a lot of boxes and that he's a guy that has some potential, I think, to help South Carolina early because he just – he does everything well when you look at him on film. And I think a, a potential early impact guy at that position too. Um, as far as looking at someone who's already sort of developed and, and as you said, catches balls from a actually one of the best in the country right now. Um, yeah, I think he'll have a chance to, to play pretty early for South Carolina. And and, and that's something that is, that's a need. You talked about it earlier, DB and receiver, two huge needs for South Carolina. So, uh, yeah, that, that was last – last Wednesday, maybe, that he went public. Uh, it, it's all sort of run together. But, but yeah, a big pickup for South Carolina and, and, again, allows them to be very selective at that position moving forward. Chris, so final couple of minutes here, man. I want to get a bit into something we have not talked about, I don't think at all on the show, that being name, image, likeness. Obviously is a big thing in college football right now. Um, big thing at South Carolina, big thing everywhere. You've seen you've seen a couple of little deals trickle in. I, I think uh, on Joyner announced a deal. Um, you've had uh, some players hop on cameo, which is a no brainer. I think if you're if you're a if you're a college athlete, just get on cameo and see if it hits. You know, find whether you're a guy that can charge five dollars for a little video or fifty dollars for a little video or a hundred. You know, find a price point that people will actually pay. That's that's a no-brainer for you. And, you know, we, we've seen some crazy deals at, at a couple of other places. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people have maybe underestimated um, how much that the women's athletes are going to be able to potentially make in this when you look at some of their followings. On Instagram, you look at the growing popularity of women's basketball on social media. There, there's some potential there. I, I think when you have a program as high profile and players that are as good as as what South Carolina has on the women's basketball side right now. But um, your initial thoughts on name, image, likeness, what it is, what it isn't, and your thoughts on this thing moving forward, man. Well, it's been fascinating to to watch it play out. I think there were there were some things that were easy to see coming. For instance, one of them being there were going to be a zillion firms and agents and all these different things pop up out of the woodwork once this hit, and that and that's happened. Um, I think one of the the not a concern, but a point that some people tried to bring up was well, a lot of athletes are going to get left out because there's not big endorsement money for all of them. That's true. But what you can, what is true about college athletics is it is a very, it's more of a niche space in certain things like, for example, women's sports. Women's college basketball, for instance, across the country is not nearly as popular as men's college basketball or college football. At South Carolina, though, women's basketball is huge. And so we see, like you mentioned, Cameo, Bree Beal got on there. There's going to be massive opportunities at certain spots in certain niches for smaller school athletes even to get a piece of these endorsement pies. And I think one of the things that we, we got to remember, Wes, is a lot of people thought about name, image, likeness of just, OK, they're going to do a car commercial or some national deal like Spencer Rattler's doing Raising Canes. We've seen some national deals, but the local level deals for people. Um, the, the, the backup running back at South Carolina, for instance, which would be Marshawn Lloyd, arguably, or, or he'd at least be 1B, whatever. He's probably got a much better chance of grabbing some type of endorsement money on a local level than the backup running back on an NFL roster does on a national stage because of the niche of it all, right? Um, you even think of high school sports. It's almost easy in some spaces 
to sell ads or sponsorships from high school sports because people are passionate about it. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind. And in the past, just because of your status as an amateur collegiate athlete, you couldn't do anything uh, to monetize yourself just using your own name, even if it really didn't have anything to do with sports. You know, you couldn't start a funny YouTube channel or an Instagram channel that where you take pictures of flowers or, you know, just any number of things. I mean, now you can do all that stuff. So I think it's going to be, there are going to be some guys that are going to capture some national deals because they're the starting quarterback for Alabama or whatever. Then there are going to be some guys who are going to get the local level car dealerships. And there are going to be some people who have the wherewithal to go do something different that maybe doesn't have anything to do with sports. They can go capture some of that. And there's some low hanging fruit to be gotten all over the place. So it is fascinating to kind of watch it play out. Lots of players in the space now. So lots of evolution, I think, that that will still happen with this thing. Yeah, I think I think it'll be very interesting. And as you said, man, there 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 were guys, there were kids in the past that I think that's an excellent point. If you have a YouTube, if you had a YouTube page, you know, YouTube has monetization. We, we have it turned on for this stream right now. Um, it pops up an advertisement when you start a video and YouTube takes some of that money and they give that money to the owner of that stream. If they're, you know, and you're able to do that, if you meet certain requirements, if you were a college football player before, even if your YouTube page had nothing to do with sports, you could not monetize that. And, um, that's what this name image likeness thing takes away. Now, does it does it offer some other opportunities there that people get really nervous about, that some people get really nervous about, I should say? Absolutely. But I think ultimately what this says is that the these kids have these kids have a brand and the NCAA doesn't really it's it's too far reaching to say, even though it's been this way for decades, it's too far reaching to say that the NCAA owns that player's name, you know, like that's, if you say it like that, it's really kind of ridiculous that it was a rule in the first place. This is their name. Like you should be able to benefit from your own name. So I, I think that um, there'll be some creative opportunities though from kids. And then there will be some just where guys get spending money for um, mentioning a local restaurant or something, you know? So, and this could be, this could go everywhere from just a tweet. Hey, I, I eat lunch at Jay's corner or whatever, you know, it, it could be anything. So I, you know, I, I think that, um, that there are going to be some big deals out there that, that gain a lot of attention, but it will certainly be the, the kids who, who can get $500 here, $500 there that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to get. And dude, I think Twitch, and um, like the whole having a conversation while live streaming gaming has become such a huge thing. I don't I don't necessarily understand that world. Um, and when I was in college, I was a huge gamer. Like I liked playing video games. I'll still hop on there every now and then if I have some free time. But this whole thing of watching someone else play a game, I personally don't doesn't click with me. But the numbers don't lie. That is a huge market right now. So if you already have a social following to jumpstart sort of people's interest in you, and now you can monetize your, your Twitch stream, and then it becomes, I'm sure there's built-in opportunities with Twitch, but then, hey, let's let's throw a sponsor on there as well. That's, um, that, that's cool. But that, hey, that's no different than what you and I try to do with this show right now. It's just yep. giving the college athletes an opportunity to do that themselves. It is. And I, th I think it's long overdue. Some people are uncomfortable with it or don't like it, but it's, it's the way that this is gone. And, and when you get down to the core of it, of, you know, as a human being, should, should your status as a college athlete preclude you from being able to do something like sign an autograph for money or monetize a video stream or do something. It, let's take away football and sports. Again, we both made this point. Do something that has nothing to do with football or whatever sport you play. Should you be able to do that? Yes. And and I think Donald De La Haye, former UCF kicker, I can't even properly credit the year years ago, 
he was one of the pioneers on this because he basically gave up his eligibility, he built this huge following on video. I think it was on YouTube. And basically the NCAA told him that he couldn't do it. And so he kind of gave things up uh, in order to be able to, you know, move forward with monetizing his brand. He, he to this day has well over a million followers on Twitter. Um, so a lot of people have, have been, you know, should be credited with moving things towards this point, but, um, most college athletes aren't going to go out there and strike some million dollar or six figure deal, but to have opportunities to be able to do things that normal human beings or professional athletes or even amateur athletes in other categories are able to do um, is I think something that's a positive for, for these people. And I think it will continue to evolve the bad. Hopefully will kind of fall by the wayside it'll calm down a little bit with some of the conversation is so new that there's a ton of conversation. People still wondering kind of what's going on and the, the things just still taking shape as the days go by. No doubt, man. One final note here as we close it out. Speaking of Nick, Eamon worry earlier, he officially has a rivals ranking now, Chris. Um, did you, have you seen that? Did you see that? I have not seen that. What is your guess on Nick's rivals ranking. Ooh, I was going to say a 5.6 three-star would be Boom, right in the middle. Uh, from, from what I was told, there was some conversation there. 5.6, potentially 5.7 um, as a possibility. I think, dude, I think with a big senior year, he's knocking on the door of 5.7 or even 5.8, which puts you into the four-star category. If he has a huge senior year, he's probably easily a four-star guy with – um, what he's done already. He's already, you know, he's an all-state guy last year. So the some, you know, the production is there as well. I, I think um he'll certainly be a, a kid to keep an eye on moving forward for South Carolina as someone who can move up. But 15 commitments now, a 3.2 star average, uh 12 three stars and three four stars for South Carolina. So they that actually bumps him up one more spot right now, Chris. 12th in the country on Rivals.com and uh, on the team rankings. And some some of that is, yes, the, the overall numbers that you already have 15. Um, some of that is um, just that they, you know, they, they've started locking in some good guys. And a lot of these three stars are, are high three-star guys and, um, you know, have put themselves in a position to uh, categorize or to capitalize, I should say, on some momentum uh, that has been built in June. So we'll certainly continue to track the team rankings. Will it go up? Will it go down? You imagine that other, other teams are going to catch up when their numbers catch up to South Carolina. But, Chris, I think what it does, it puts them in a situation to be in the top 25 when this class ultimately is signed, sealed, and finished. Yeah, and it's good for South Carolina. You know, you said this early in the program. It didn't, weren't sure how many commitments figured there'd be some coming out of June. It was most important that they laid the groundwork to be able to eventually land some guys. But now they've come out of summer landing some of those guys, like actually having commitments from them, which some were expected. Some maybe came out of left field from a little bit, uh, but it's a positive to have that. You'd much rather be there than going into the season, going into a prolonged dead period in July, having a week where it opens again and then going into the season and things maybe get a little bit more iffy from you for you. Now you've got some of those priority target targets locked in. You can go and work on some of the other big fish that you still got out there. And you much rather be here. Gamecock fans will enjoy this much rather be here than Auburn, which has Wes three commitments right now, three verbal commitments for Auburn here in July. Rough. Do you, do you get, do you start getting a little bit nervous if you're an Auburn fan? I mean, I, and I know, it, you know, they're, they're not going to sign three guys. Like They will sign a class, right. obviously. And ultimately, it's about quality, yeah. not about the quantity or about what time they – if they all commit in December. But you do start to say, all right, what if you put all your eggs into the baskets of the kids who have not decided yet, and then you miss – you miss on these top guys that are left, and then you've already lost your opportunity – to go after your your fallback guys, right? Yeah, and and that I think that when you look at Auburn and Tennessee, you know they're big brands. Will they ultimately recruit? Will, will they ultimately even sign a good class? Probably. I mean, um, elite. I don't know though. 
um, when you look at their setups and their situations, something that I've heard, Wes, about both of those is there's some concern of does the head coach at these schools like recruiting? <laughs> Do they kind of dig in? We know Shane Beamer likes recruiting. We know a lot of the other head coaches around the SEC like recruiting and they're effective at it. So it, it, just an interesting storyline to watch, but I figured Gamecock fans would enjoy a little bit of a of a tweak at Auburn there. Yeah, there you go. And I, I think all of them love that. So, all right, y'all, that's going to do it. Uh, hope y'all enjoyed the show. There's a bunch of people. The numbers, there's a ton of people on here today. So appreciate y'all joining. Hope it was a good show. I feel like it was one of our better ones, actually. So thank y'all for joining. We'll be back on Wednesday. Come check us out, GamecockCentral.com. He's Chris. I'm Wes. We'll see you Wednesday.